0: Try that again, switched on. Morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. You're very welcome, and anybody that's watching online, um, I hope you can join us and that you'll be blessed from our service. Um, I have a a few announcements to give uh, before we start the service. First of all, uh, next week is our communion service in the morning, and we're looking forward to that. On Tuesday, this Tuesday coming, 13th of June, There'll be a meeting of the Kirk Session starting at half past seven. Next Sunday at 7.30 p.m. we'll have another opportunity to meet for worship and prayer. We meet in the prayer room there just to my left. Uh, We have some videos put on and we worship and we pray and we have fellowship. Please, you'd be very welcome to come to that and it would be great to see you there. Uh, There's a date for your diary. Our AGM, it's going to take place on Tuesday the 20th of June at half past seven. Can I just ask that every group and organization uh, that they nominate a leader just to speak for a few minutes, uh, just a short speech for a few minutes on how the group's going, how the organization is going, and on what you would like prayer for. Uh, Also for information for our distributors, the annual report is available for distribution to your areas. Please collect your bundle from the church Kitchen. I'm hoping to, um, I'm hoping to arrange a deep sea fishing trip, or maybe even two, if we get enough people, uh, over the summer. Uh, you don't need any experience. I've done it s- several times down with Brian Maharg. All the equipment is uh, supplied. It's going to be a fun night out. Um, I'm not sure just yet what the date's going to be, but because uh, I just thought about it last week and. Um, I'll confirm just as soon as I find out the dates and the times, then I'll confirm with you in a service here, but also Bill Aiken, he'll put it on his wee group chat as well. Very welcome to come, whether you're a member of this church or not a member of this church. And feel free, if you have a friend you would like to bring that doesn't come to this church, feel free to bring them also. There is a page there if you want to sign up, just to see how many people would be interested. Just at that table, as you go out on your right-hand side, where the little tracks are, there's a page. If you want to sign up for, let us know just that you would be interested in that. That would be great. Um, And also, I'm just going to ask Ben to come. He's going to talk to us about a summer kids club that he's
1: hoping to do. Yes, good morning everyone. Uh, uh, so on the 31st of July to the 4th of August, I am hoping to run a kids club here at Ballycrocken for primary school aged children. And that'll be from 10 till 12 on that Monday to Friday. I've already asked a few of you, but if you're able or willing to help out with that, please get in touch with me. It'd be fantastic to have you. Um, I need the help, would really appreciate it. And it'll be a really good opportunity. So that's from the 31st of July to the 4th of August, from 10 to 12 in the mornings. If you can help, get in touch with me, and we'll get something sorted. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ben. So just to start our service this morning, I want to read just from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, or Zerubbabel, whatever way you want to pronounce it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. I like the, the New Living translation on this verse. He says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, It's not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Indeed, as Paul writes in Romans 8, 31, If God is for us, then who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're in our midst this morning. God, and if we could see in the spirit, we would see your armies, your protection, you as our fortress, Lord, you as our high tower that we can run into and no safety. Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Lord, we just wanna say that we love you and that we want you to be here with all our hearts. We want you to touch hearts and lives, touch the children, touch the adults, touch everyone, Father, go from seat to seat, heart to heart. May all of us feel encouraged and blessed. But Lord, we pray that we would just not look to be blessed this morning, but that we would come to bless you this morning in what we say and what we do in our worship And may we bring a smile, God, to your face as we worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand. We're going to sing a lovely uh, chorus, which I love. It's called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. I'd like to read from Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 16. If you have a Bible, uh, please open at Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 16. And just while you're doing that, we remind reminder, we have Messy Church this afternoon at half-past three. Um, Come along, there is a a barbecue at it and a special event. If anybody wants to throw a wet sponge at me, you can. (laughs) I'm sure you've thought about it during a sermon sometimes, so... You can come along and throw a wet sponge but every child is welcome don't have to be a member of this church if you have grandchildren that are visiting you this afternoon bring them along and they'll be very welcome and they'll get a hot dog okay hebrews 4 verses 12 to 16 for the word of god is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and led bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, boys and girls, if you'd like to come to the front, if you don't want to, that's okay too. If we have any boys and girls hiding under the seats? (laughs) No? Okay? Okay, well, big boys and girls this morning then. I'm going to share something with you that not many people know about me, okay? But back in Annadale Grammar, I was on the fencing team. I don't mean putting up fences, but I was on the fencing team with the foil. It was a foil, but not a Roman sword like this, but it was the foil. And it may not look very energetic, but it is very energetic. Because the very first, remember the first Saturday morning we went, the coach had us all morning for about two, two and a half hours, up and down the gym, up and down the gym. We had to get our feet in, our feet correct. So you put one foot there like that, another foot at right angles like that. The hardest part was putting your, your knees down like that. I think my hip's about to go, but <laughs> And he would have us move forward. Offense, defense, offense, defense. What are you laughing about? (laughs) Okay, offense and defense. And you had to, we did this for about two and a half hours. When you came out, you were sort of walking funny when you were going home, but it built up your muscles. And then the next time, we had to do that before we could ever lift a sword. Now, whenever we lifted the sword then, we had someone obviously facing us. And we'd be down like this. And your opponent would come straight and wants to get you there. So you try and go sideways as much as possible, wants to get you in the heart. So whenever the blade would come, you do something that's called a parry. You go like that so that his blade would be deflected that way, or you could do it this way, and his blade would be deflected that way. That was called a parry. And as soon as his blade was over there, you were meant to be really quick to do what was called a riposte, which was an attack. While his blade's there, you then go quickly and get him, hopefully, in the chest. So when you look at the sword, it's to do with attacking. Offense, offense, offense. Defense, defense, defense. Uh, when we look at the Word of God, and I'll uh, we'll put these wee things on, wee PowerPoint. When we look at the Word of God, there we go. Uh, the Word of God tells us, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is sharper than any double edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, let me give you an example of how the Word of God can be attacking or touch people's hearts. Now, I've got here a coconut. Now, believe it or not, that's actually harder than my head. And I got it in Tesco's, 90 pence. But <laughs> basically, it's so hard. This, I thought to myself, this is an example. This is a good example of how man's heart and woman's heart can get so hard towards God. I don't need God, even if there is a God. I don't believe him. I can live this life on my own. I'm not a sinner. I've never done anything wrong. And to get through that heart is pretty difficult. And what we're told in Scripture is that the Word of God is like a sword that can cut right into the hardest heart and transform, change a life forever. For example, let me see. There. You see, someone might say, I have not sinned. I have never done anything wrong in my life that I need to give account for. All have sinned, we're told in Scripture, and fall short of the glory of God. So in other words, it's like I'm here, and the Grand Canyon is there, and God is on the far side of the Grand Canyon, and there's no way that I can get across to him because my sin separates me. And that is a passage from Romans 3, 23. It's the Word of God that can go deep into a man's heart and make him realize with the Spirit of God moving in his life that he's a sinner, that he's fallen short. He can never reach God in his own efforts, in his own attempt. Okay, so I do love, that's an example of an offensive attack, of an attack where God moves by his spirit, uses his word to get deep into the heart of men and women. Put your hands up if you've had your appendix out. Anybody here have had their appendix out? Yes. Isn't it massively sore before beforehand? Incredibly sore and... You see, when God cuts with his word into our hearts, he cuts in order to heal. And like with the appendicitis, it's so painful, so, so painful, but yet he cuts in order to heal, to bring it out and stitch you up and you're fine. When you for find forgiveness, that's what God is doing. He's cutting into your life, into your heart, reaching you. And then giving you forgiveness. But the defensive side, where you're moving back and defending using the Word of God, I love the earth. I think the earth is fascinating. I have about three of these all together now. And I think it's fascinating. And it's such a beautiful world we live in. And it's reckoned there are three billion people who live on this one planet. And that is massive. And it's very easy for you to think, and oh, I have thought at times, um, how could God care for me? How could God love me? I am one person in three billion. How does God have time to look after me? How high on earth? I am just so small. He doesn't have the time, surely. But then again, if we turn to the Word of God, the Word of God reminds us that when we have those sorts of thoughts we're told for God so loved the world that he gave his only son now he loved the world who's the world? well you're part of that world so I was going to put I was hoping Daisy would be here this morning because she's got chicken pox bless her <laughs> and for God so loved Daisy that he gave his only son For God so loved Louis that he gave his only son. For God so loved Tom that he gave his only son. For God so loved Brian that he gave his only son. For God so loved Mark that he gave his only son. So you can put your name in that and recognize that God really loves you. And where does that lead then? We're told that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, when we trust in Christ, there is that bridge in the Grand Canyon where sin's in the middle, and we can't get across by our own efforts, but because Christ has died on the cross in our place, he gives us, that, that is a bridge from, from our side to God's side, into God's heaven, into relationship with God. Sin is dealt with, and we can walk across that, that bridge. And so um, so that's, that's, that's that this morning. So I wanted to share that with you as a wee taster for later on, and we're going to look at the sword of the Spirit, to so remember that it's used as an offense by the Spirit of God, something that's used for attack to bring down strongholds, but also used for defense as well. So, we're going to sing. I know uh, there's not many children here this morning, but I was told that Sunday Club have sang this song before. God is for us. And there's actually all of, the, uh, all of the actions are right on the video. So if you want to do it, waken yourselves up a bit. It's a bit heavy, the atmosphere this morning, very warm. Just do a wee bit of aerobics and you'll be doing grand. So let's stand up and let's sing, If God is for me. club and Bible class. I know there's folk up on the balcony as well, so if you want to uh, go at this point that's fine. And your offering will now be received. Thank you. Father, we thank you for those words. They're not just fun to sing, God, but they are true. If you are for us, who can be against us? And Father, I pray some people may have come in this morning feeling oppressed, feeling worried about what the week has ahead of them. But Father, we thank you that in your presence is pure loveliness. May we know your love this morning, touching our hearts. May we know that sense of peace and security that you give us, our Father, uh, as you put us in your hands and remind us that nothing will harm us, that we are safe in your arms. And Lord, this is the message that we want to bring to people in our community. Uh, This is the message we want to bring, Father, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus has bridged that gap between us and his Father, and that we want to share it with everyone. And so, Lord, we use these offerings, God. We bring them because we know that in order to do most things in life, we need it financed. And, Lord, therefore, we bring our offerings to you, and we give them to you, and we pray that we would use them with such respect because of it's cost people to give it. And I pray, Lord, that we would use it, Lord, for the extension of your kingdom and for the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is here for everyone. Uh, And we ask these things, Lord, bless the way it's used, and may you be glorified in everything we do each day in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's a, a story that's just been on my mind all week, and um, it's about when Moses was sending the 12 spies into the land of Canaan, um, and they had to survey the land and see what was like before they would head in themselves. And they came back, and 10 of them went, yeah, it's beautiful, just as you said, land's flowing with milk and honey. Tremendous, absolutely. The, the actual the ground is so fertile. But we could never take it because the, the men are bigger than us. There's tribes there that are ferocious, that are trained in battle much more than we are. And, but there were two men, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, God is with us. If God is with us, who can be against us? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And uh, they decided the, the ten won. The majority won, and they decided not to go for it. And they walked in circles around the wilderness for the next 40 years. Well, it was safe enough, because nobody else wanted their land. But they walked with no joy and no sense of God and His presence. For 40 day, 40 years and I was just thinking about us and about moving as we move on as we're praying with regards to just what way we should move forward who we're trying to reach uh, what we're trying wanting to do maybe about the building the middle building and how we're wanting to, to think about what what is God's plan for us for the way forward and um, I, I, I just want to pray I just want to pray this this it's a very short prayer it's a prayer for God give us vision. Give us vision help us to know what you want from us, who you want to reach in this area, and help us to know what's the best way to do that. So let's pray together. We minute. Dear Father, we desire as a church to take hold of the vision you have for us and pray that you would lead and guide us to take a collective step of faith in the direction that you would have us go. Help us, we pray, to grasp the church vision that you have for us, and may we be sensitive to your leading and guidance. Prevent us from seeking to implement our own inferior ideas or substitute our own man-made notions for your plans and purposes. Grant us a renewed vision as we seek you in your word. Give us dreams to change our community that make us come alive because we're doing what you created us to do. Draw us closer to each other and to you as we seek your face together in prayer. May we be strengthened in the inner man. May we be united together in the unity of the faith and prompted to carry out your plans and your purposes to your greater glory. We pray that the church vision that emerges in our hearts will have been prompted by the Holy Spirit for the edification, for the building up of this church and to your praise and glory. This we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to... Worship God with a speak, O Lord. It's a a prayer. Let's stand and sing, speak, O Lord. I'd like to uh, read from Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 13 to 17, uh, continuing our series on the armor of God. Verses 13 to 17, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, Saul, who became Paul, held the coats of those who were doing the stoning, And I don't think such an image would ever have left Paul. He was part of the enemy of Jesus Christ. He knows the power of such an enemy. He says, it's not a matter of flesh and blood. Yes, the enemy uses, at times, uses flesh and blood. But it goes much deeper than that to the powers of darkness themselves. Paul points out that we're in a spiritual battle, and in such a battle, there are two things, he says, that we need to know. First of all, where our strength for the battle comes from. He says it's not from ourselves. He writes, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And secondly, we need to know how to use God's armor. Put on the full armor of God. And we've been looking at the armor of God In this series, let me just recap a wee bit for you because it's been a wee while. We looked at the belt of truth. Uh, We looked at how the belt of truth refers to the Word of God and how it is the belt of truth that every other part of God's armor is attached to this belt around the waist. Every other part of the armor finds its position in relation to the truth. We look then at the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate being the part of the armor which protects your heart and lungs, uh, your vital organs. I spoke of of the great exchange where Christ takes my sin and I receive his righteousness in exchange. On the cross, God looks at his son and sees an adulterer, a liar, a cheat, a drunkard, a self-centered, greedy individual. Christ became all that we are that we might become all that he is. And then we looked at the hobnail gospel shoes, laced tightly around the legs, prepared to defend the gospel of peace, prepared to stand firm in the gospel. These three pieces of armor are to stay on the soldier permanently. But the next three pieces of armor, the soldier must pick up himself When the enemy runs towards him, the soldier will quickly take up his shield. He'll put on his helmet of salvation and he'll pick up his sword and run into battle. And our shield of faith we raise to protect ourselves from the fiery darts of the enemy. God is our protector. He is our fortress. He is uh, our high tower. And our helmet of salvation, which we put on, we, we looked at last time, the helmet is there to protect our thinking, our mind, our understanding. And he speak, Paul speaking in particular here that we should guard our minds from a weariness so that it can easily come upon us, where you submit to the feelings that this battle is just too hard. So today I want to look at the sixth and final piece of the armor, the sword of the Spirit. Paul writes, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Two very important aspects here to be held side by side. One is sword and the other is Spirit. The sword, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God, they must go together. They must go together. To separate the two is a disaster. You know, there have been churches, there have been denominations which have emphasized the one and neglected the other. If we focus only on the Word of God as a piece of literature, we have the formula of how to live the Christian life without the power. If we focus on the Spirit without the Word of God as our foundation, we find ourselves being tossed and blown about like a boat in a storm and easily getting blown off course without any firm foundation. So what Does Paul mean by the sword of the Spirit? He writes, Take the sword of the Spirit in your hand, which is the Word of God. Let me just first look at the sword for a moment. The piece of armor which Paul points to is both defensive and it's offensive. It's to defend and it's also to use as an attack weapon. All the other pieces, they're just defensive. They're defending our salvation, which Christ has already won and secured for us in his death and resurrection. Whereas the sword is both defensive and offensive. The Roman sword that he's talking about is the Makera, the Roman soldier's double-edged sword. It's a, it's a short sword, it's very short, It's used only when you're in close contact, face to face, hand to hand combat. Um, It's used in a spiritual sense by Paul as a defense against the lies of the enemy, but also used as an offensive weapon to pull down strongholds in men and women's lives, to penetrate hearts with the truth of God. Offensive and defensive. A short sword, short face-to-face, close combat. And all of us, at times, face that in our Christian lives. As I said before, the Bible was written by over 40 human authors. Among those, there were kings, there were philosophers, there were tax collectors, there were fishermen, there were poets, there were musicians, there were shepherds and scholars. There was even a man who looked after cattle called Amos. Written by different authors, different styles, different personalities, coming from different experiences, and yet there's such an amazing unity and harmony which runs throughout Scripture. Let me look, secondly, at the Spirit of God, because the Bible is not just a human book. It's written by human authors, but there's also a divine author behind it. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, it's useful for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. It's inspired by God. God has breathed it. Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.21 that prophecy never came as, an, as a result of human will, but as a result of prophets through, through which God spoke and uh, the phrases carried them along um, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible, written by human authors with different personalities, yet a divine author is behind it, guiding it, inspiring it, breathing it. The source is God himself. The Bible in and of itself, although inspired though, is a dead book without the Spirit of God, who lifts it and uses it and interprets it and applies it to our hearts. And it's when the Spirit of God lifts the Word of God and takes it and cuts in your heart in order to heal, that's when it's active, that's when it's alive that's when it's sharper than any two-edged sword and god has done that and will continue to do that and transform men and women's lives in every generation i'm sure many of you can identify with that before you give your life to jesus christ perhaps you the bible was a dead book it was irrelevant it was boring it was lifeless it was dead But when you received Christ, suddenly when your spirit, which is the part of you which was designed to be the dwelling place of God, when your spirit received Christ, the life of Christ, suddenly the Bible became like a different book, filled with meaning, filled with purpose, filled with answers, full of relevance to the life that you now live and struggle with at times. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writes that the natural man, that is the natural man without the Spirit of God, does not receive the things of God for their foolishness to him. He can't grasp it. He can't understand it. Man is blind to the things of God, but then when the Spirit of God takes the Word of God, slices into his heart in a way that is there for his taking, and then he responds to Christ, suddenly the promises of God take legs. They have life. They start to have a pulse beat and a heartbeat. They're meaningful. They're purposeful. And he has a hunger then to know more about it, cutting in him in order to heal him. You know, Hebrews 4.12 that we read earlier For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. The soul is your personality, your mind, your will, emotions. The spirit, it talks about more and introduces it more to us in the New Testament. Not talking about the Holy Spirit here, talking about your spirit that will live forever. That is that place in you that God created for his life, and his presence to dwell. So when you receive Christ, God's presence comes within you. And it says here the word of God divides both soul and spirit. And God cuts in order to heal. You know, the big difference between the voice of Satan and the voice of the Holy Spirit, that when Satan comes and whispers, He comes to condemn you. Look at your feelings. Look at your sins. You're disgusting. How could you ever be a Christian? And he's quite happy for to give you all that guilt and condemnation and let it hang like a wet blanket on your shoulders. But when the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart, when he comes with the word of God, when he shows you your sin. He does it with compassion and with love, and he offers a way out. He offers forgiveness. He points you to Jesus Christ. Breaking through strongholds, he points you to Jesus Christ, and he says there's forgiveness for everyone. I remember hearing Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, say, nothing is automatic in the Christian life. We can't just become a Christian and just leave everything to God. Nothing is automatic if we want to move on in our relationship with God. In our lives, there must be a continuous response to God. That's how we first come to Christ. We come to Christ by faith. We give our lives to him, and we..." And that's how we grow to him, a daily responding to what he has to say to us each day. And that's how we grow. Paul, in his, or sorry, Peter, in his second letter, he writes chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power, that's God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. In other words, it, and we know Jesus Christ, and we have a spirit within us. He gives us the power to live the Christian life in him and for him. He gives us that power. But a couple of lines further down in verses 5 to 7, he says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your perseverance and to perseverance godliness, to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. It's a partnership. We don't just leave our spiritual growth to Christ. It's a relationship of responding to what he's saying to us each day and putting every effort in to work with him in our lives and for him in his service. Someone once said, the Christian life is not our responsibility. It's our response to his ability that continuous response, relationship, making every, every effort to live for him, but dependent on him. Take the sword of the Spirit, Paul says, which is the word of God. You know, it's important that we read it. It's important that we read the word of God. It's important that we feed upon it. Paul says in Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, let it take be a part of you. You know, being fed in church on a Sunday morning, it's not enough for you to grow. You know, imagine if you only ate food once every seven days. You'd be very physically weak. Many, you know, we're told to read it and meditate on it. Many people are frightened to be quiet and meditate because they think of meditation as being like one of these Eastern religions where you empty your mind of everything if you can but uh, I don't recommend that at all, because all sorts of nonsense can flood the mind. But when the Bible speaks of meditation, it refers to filling the mind, not emptying it. Fill in the mind. Fill your minds with the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Psalm 1, delight in the law. Lo- this guy that trusts in the Lord, he delights in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He chews it over like, like a cow chewing the cud Swallowing it, bringing it up again, thinking about it from a different angle. Well, the psalmist Psalm 119 writes, "My soul clings to the dust. Revive me high, according to your word." Or verse 25, "My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me high, according to your word." Or for a young man, how can a young man keep his way pure and it's so difficult these days? It says, by taking heed according to your word. And of course, the scriptures and indeed Jesus calls us to go one step further and obey. Read it, chew it over in your mind, and then obey. Jesus speaks of two men. They've both heard what Jesus has to say they've both heard how they should be building their house one goes off and builds it on sand one goes off and builds it on the rock and they probably look incredible the two houses probably look fantastic until the rain comes and the storms come the one in sand just goes and the other stands And what's the difference? There's only one difference in that. They both hear the same sermon. They both hear from Jesus. They know how to build a house. One disobeys, one obeys. That's the only difference. Read it, meditate on it, chew it over, obey it. Nothing is automatic, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, in the Christian life. It's important to read the Word of God, be dependent on the Spirit of God, and then the Word of God begins to live and it becomes an effective sword. It's important to know the word of God, to be able to lift it as a weapon, not just of offense, but defense, for your own defense. Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he was able to parry his temptations, deflect the blade of the enemy by going, by by quoting from Deuteronomy, it is written. Every time, it is written, it is written. He didn't try and talk the devil or discuss with the devil. He just went, it's written, it's written, it's written. And we need to get to know the Word of God so we can use it in such a way as a defensive weapon. It's because it's such an important part of the armor of God, we need also to protect it. We need to protect the sword of the Spirit. You know, with a broken sword, we're defeated before we've begun. We are to be people of the Word. We're to treat the Word of God not as a piece of literature that you can pull apart and try to find fault in. I was at a meeting several years ago. We were discussing a rather contentious issue. When an elder stood up, I have no idea what church he was from. Um, He wasn't from Northern Ireland, I know that anyway. But he stood up and he shouted out, We used to think the Bible was the Word of God, but now we know better. I ask you, what sort of faith does that man have? Nothing but a broken and useless faith, like a wet bag and hold nothing, no foundation. And we need to remember that when we begin to undermine some of the harder-to-believe stories in the Old Testament, we begin to undermine the teaching of Jesus Christ, because he himself verified such stories. He himself referred to them in his own teaching. Just in closing, Billy Graham, early in his ministry, was involved, was invited to Los Angeles. It was one of his first major missions, Crusades, big tent mission. Beforehand, he met his team, and one of his team members was a man called Chuck Templeton, who was a preacher from Toronto. But Chuck Templeton had developed some serious doubts about the trustworthiness of Scripture. He said to Billy Graham, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way that you do. Your faith is too simple. Your language is out of date. You have to learn new jargon if you're going to be successful in your ministry. Chuck Templeton brought him questions about Scripture which Billy didn't have the answers to. Billy was very troubled. He was very burdened, and he wondered, can I trust the Bible? If I can't trust the Bible, I can't go on. I can't do a mission. And he went for a walk in the woods that night in... <clears throat> in Los Angeles, and he set his Bible open on a tree stump, and he started to think of Jesus and Jesus' attitude towards the Scriptures. You know, well, Jesus accepted the Scriptures. He never had a problem with them. He never turned around and said, you know, some of those stories you just have to take with a pinch of salt. He never did anything like that. And Billy decided to follow likewise in his footsteps. So with his Bible sitting on this open, sorry, open, sorry. So with the Bible sitting open on this tree stump, he cried out to God. He says, oh God, there are many things in this book that I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that did not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that Chuck and others are raising. And Billy fell to his knees, and I said, "Father, I am going to accept this as Thy word by faith, and going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts." And I will believe this to be your inspired word. And finishing his prayer, his eyes, in his, bio, in his autobiography, he says that his eyes stung with tears. But he sensed the power and the presence of God in such a way that he had never done for months. The campaign in Los Angeles was anointed by God. God's spirit was all over it. And night after night, the tent was packed and thousands gave their lives to Jesus Christ. It was described as the greatest revival since the time of Billy Sunday. It had such an impact upon the city of Los Angeles. And this was to be the catalyst which would kickstart Billy's ministry to become a worldwide ministry. Paul says take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit one of the most important pieces of God's armor that we've got to protect let's read it, let's meditate on it let's stand on it let's let it become a part of us live by it, depend on the Holy Spirit to show us Christ in it time, every time we read it May we see Christ in it. Pray that God's written word would lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ himself. How we need Christ. If we were to ask what would be great for the world, we might have many, many people might say, well, if there was one thing we need, we might need this or we might need that or we might need something else. The one thing throughout all time that we've needed most and will need tomorrow and the next generation and our kids will need and our grandkids will need is Jesus Christ. So let's make sure that he feels happy in Ballycrock and Presbyterian Church. Let's make sure that he feels welcome in this place to move amongst us with power and his grace and his love, touching people's lives here and into the community let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, we'd be lost, absolutely, literally lost without him. May he be the center of our lives. Give us a hunger for him. If we don't know him yet, Lord, God, give us that hunger. Move by your spirit and bring us that faith that we need to respond. Lord, Help us, give us a desire, no matter what age we are, from young to old, give us a desire to know you more and to read about Christ in the Scriptures and to know him on a daily basis, not just on a Sunday, but in every part of our week. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to finish uh, with uh, a very appropriate Him be thou my vision, Jesus Christ my vision. Father, we just pray for Messy Church this afternoon. And Father, we just pray that the little children that come and their parents, Lord, that they may know that they are loved by you and that they are loved by us and that we treasure them. And Now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.